you are now tuned into World War II Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, and I'm here to take you on a journey through the whirlwind of historical events that shaped our world and defined generations. Stay tuned every Tuesday and Thursday as we delve into the riveting, inspiring, and sometimes tragic stories from World War II. We'll meet the brave men and women who stood up to tyranny, we'll explore clandestine operations and daring escapes, and we'll pay tribute to the resilience of the human spirit in times of extreme adversity. Also, be sure to check out our other podcast focusing on World War I, the conflict that set the stage for the global turmoil that followed. Use the link in the description below. As dawn broke on May 4, 1942, the tranquil waters of the Coral Sea, cradled between the eastern coast of Australia and the tropical islands of the South Pacific, held a deadly secret. Beneath the cerulean waves and cloud-laden skies, two mighty fleets were converging on a collision course, their destinies intertwined in a dance of power and peril. This was a stage set for a clash that would redefine naval warfare, alter the course of a global conflict, and inscribe indelible tales of courage and sacrifice into the annals of history. The combatants, the formidable Imperial Japanese Navy, riding high on a wave of victories that had swept across Asia and the Pacific, and the combined forces of the United States and Australia, desperate to halt the relentless Japanese advance. At stake, control over the strategic lifelines of the South Pacific, and the future of Australia itself. But this was to be no ordinary sea battle. There would be no thunderous broadsides between battleships, no close-quarter duels between cruisers. Instead, this clash would be conducted by the flat-decked aircraft carriers and their winged emissaries, fighting a battle from afar. The Battle of the Coral Sea would be the first naval engagement in history where the opposing ships neither sighted nor fired directly at each other. It marked a transition in warfare, a departure from traditional naval tactics into an era dominated by air power. The Battle of the Coral Sea was more than just a dramatic duel in the South Pacific. It was a pivotal moment in the larger theater of World War II, a testament to human valor and strategic ingenuity, a turning point that changed the tide of war. This is the story of that extraordinary battle, its dramatic build-up, the iconic figures who shaped its course, the epic encounters that defined its climax, and its enduring legacy that still resonates today. Buckle up for a ride through history, one full of stormy seas, soaring aircraft, and the echo of cannon fire, a journey back to those fateful days in May 1942. I am your host, Steve Matthews. Join us today as we embark on another exciting adventure. Chapter 1 the rising sun in the Pacific chessboard. In the closing years of the 19th century, the land of the rising sun stood on the brink of a dramatic transformation. From the feudal isolation of the Tokugawa shogunate, Japan had burst onto the world stage, a burgeoning empire with global aspirations. And at the heart of this revolution was a burgeoning naval force, destined to become one of the most formidable maritime powers in the world the Imperial Japanese Navy. The catalyst of this naval evolution was a man of vision and resolve, a samurai-turned-statesman, Japan's first Prime Minister Hirobumi Ito. It was Ito who, realizing the necessity of a powerful navy, pushed for Japan's modernization. 
he understood that a nation, bounded by the sea and with ambitions of empire, must command the waves. This was a lesson learned from observing Western powers, particularly the British Empire, whose naval prowess had catapulted it to global prominence. Under Ito's stewardship, Japan sought aid from Britain, already a master of the seas, to nurture its naval infancy. British naval officers, architects, and shipbuilders were invited to Japan, their knowledge and skills leveraged to sow the seeds of Japan's maritime power. The island nations soon began to build ships, not the traditional wooden vessels of the past, but modern, steam-powered steel leviathans bristling with the latest artillery. The Imperial Japanese Navy's baptism by fire came in 1894 during the First Sino-Japanese War, where it trounced China's Beiyang fleet, affirming its growing prowess. However, the true turning point came ten years later in 1905, at the Battle of Tsushima during the Russo-Japanese War. The Japanese fleet, under the command of Admiral Hayakairo Togo, obliterated a Russian fleet sailing all the way from the Baltic. Togo, with his blend of strategic genius and unyielding determination, led his navy to a victory so decisive that it stunned the world. It was the first time an Asian power had defeated a European one in modern history. It sent a message to the world, the Imperial Japanese Navy had arrived. By the time of Togo's passing in 1934, the Japanese Navy was a force to be reckoned with. Naval aviation had been integrated into its ranks, the power of the aircraft carrier was recognized, and a new generation of admirals was rising to prominence. Among them was Isoroku Yamamoto, a man who, unbeknownst to him, would soon command this naval powerhouse in a war that would engulf the Pacific. With the stage of the Coral Sea set, this navy, born out of the vision of a prime minister, nurtured by British expertise, and honed in the forge of two wars, was ready to make its mark on history. Across the Pacific, on the sun-drenched coastlines and busy harbors of the United States, another naval force was stirring, one that would prove to be an enduring counterweight to the Imperial Japanese Navy. This was the United States Navy, affectionately referred to as the Sleeping Giant, patiently growing in strength and capability. The man tasked with leading this formidable force was Admiral Chester Nimitz, a quiet yet determined figure. Nimitz, an experienced submariner, was not just a veteran sailor, but also a great strategic mind. From his office at Pearl Harbor, he was orchestrating a massive expansion of naval might, preparing the U.S. Navy for the challenges that lay ahead. Under Nimitz's leadership, the U.S. Navy evolved into a balanced and versatile force. A dynamic blend of battleships, cruisers, destroyers, submarines, and, most critically, aircraft carriers formed the backbone of the American naval presence in the Pacific. Nimitz was a firm believer in the potential of carrier-based aviation, a belief that would prove prescient in the coming battles. But this evolution wasn't without its challenges. The Great Depression had drained America's resources, and a strong isolationist sentiment was prevalent among the populace. Many Americans were unwilling to get involved in another overseas conflict after the horrors of the First World War. However, with the storm clouds of war gathering over Europe and Asia, the U.S. Navy kept steadily growing, preparing for the inevitable. 
The surprise attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, changed everything. The sleeping giant was awakened, roused to action by a devastating blow that brought the war to America's doorstep. The tragedy saw the loss of numerous battleships, but crucially, the American aircraft carriers were spared out at sea during the attack. Nimitz, appointed as commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet just days after the attack, was now leading a country united in its resolve to fight. The stage was set for the United States Navy, this sleeping giant, to engage the forces of the Imperial Japanese Navy. From the strategizing rooms of Pearl Harbor to the sprawling decks of their carriers, the men of the U.S. Navy were ready. As their ships steamed towards the Coral Sea, they carried with them not just the weight of their formidable weaponry, but the hopes and determination of a nation that had been abruptly thrust into a global conflict. Little did they know that their first major engagement would redefine the nature of naval warfare. From the smoldering wreckage of Pearl Harbor, the U.S. Pacific Fleet, led by the resolute Admiral Nimitz, found itself grappling with a rapid Japanese advance across the Pacific. The Empire of the Rising Sun, emboldened by their successful attack on Pearl Harbor, rapidly seized territories from the Philippines to Burma, from Malaya to the Dutch East Indies. Their lightning-fast conquests were fueled by a powerful military machine and an unwavering belief in their destiny as the preeminent power in the Pacific. At the helm of the Japanese fleet was Admiral Isoroki Yamamoto, a shrewd strategist who believed that the key to winning the war in the Pacific was to knock out the American carrier fleet. Yamamoto devised an audacious plan to extend Japan's defensive perimeter further south by capturing Port Moresby in New Guinea and Tulagi in the Solomon Islands. This would sever communication lines between the United States and Australia, isolating a crucial ally and posing a direct threat to Australia itself. News of Yamamoto's plans, however, did not remain a secret for long. American cryptographers, hunched over intercepted Japanese communications, cracked the naval code and deciphered the Japanese strategy. This intelligence was swiftly passed to the highest echelons of command, providing a priceless opportunity for the Allies to stage an interception. On the American side, Admiral Nimitz began moving his chess pieces. He dispatched two carrier task forces into the Coral Sea, one centered on the carrier USS Yorktown, under the command of Admiral Frank Jack Fletcher, and the other around the carrier USS Lexington, led by Admiral Aubrey Fitch. The Australian Navy, too, bolstered this operation, contributing cruisers and destroyers to the force. The stage was set for a showdown in the Coral Sea. Thus, the game began. As these mighty fleets set course for a remote stretch of the Pacific, they were not only heading into a battle, but also into an unprecedented chapter of naval warfare. The following days would witness a clash of strategies, technologies, and courage, changing the course of the Pacific War and shaping the fate of nations. Chapter 2 Storm Clouds Over the Coral Sea In a nondescript office in Washington, D.C., a group of unsung heroes was at work, their contribution to the impending battle of the Coral Sea as critical as that of the sailors who would engage in the clash. These were the codebreakers of the United States Navy, a dedicated group of crypt analysts working under the banner of Station Hypo. Day and night, 
they wrestled with the intricacies of the Japanese naval code, known as JN-25, seeking patterns, testing hypotheses, and steadily unveiling the secrets it concealed. The effort was spearheaded by a remarkable figure, Lieutenant Commander Joseph Rockefort. A former language student in Japan and an exceptional cryptanalyst, Rockefort was a man of relentless dedication and uncanny intuition. Supported by his equally diligent team, he worked tirelessly, cracking the complex JN-25 and unmasking the strategic intentions of the Japanese high command. Through their painstaking work, Rockefort and his team uncovered critical information about the Japanese Navy's movements and plans. The discovery of an impending operation at a location codenamed MO later identified as Port Moresby in New Guinea was their most significant breakthrough. The cryptanalysts predicted not only the Japanese target, but also the timeline of the planned offensive. This intelligence was a game-changer. Information in hand, Admiral Nimitz could plan a preemptive move to intercept the Japanese fleet before it reached Port Moresby, setting a trap that would turn the hunter into the hunted. For the first time in the Pacific War, the Allies had the upper hand in terms of intelligence. The Codebreakers' work was far from glamorous. Their battlefield was a cluttered room filled with papers, their weapons pens and cryptographic machines. Yet, their contribution was invaluable. As the American and Australian fleets steamed toward the Coral Sea, the intelligence provided by Rockefort and his team served as a secret weapon, a beacon guiding the Allies into this historic confrontation. With the critical intelligence in hand, the Allies began to formulate their plan of attack. The task of orchestrating this historic battle fell to the combined leadership of the United States and Australian forces, with American Admiral Frank Jack Fletcher chosen to lead the operation. Fletcher, an experienced leader with a calm demeanor, was known for his strategic insight and measured decision-making, qualities that would prove vital in the coming days. Fletcher's plan was straightforward yet audacious, he would intercept the Japanese force before it could reach Port Moresby and engage it in a decisive battle. The USS Yorktown and USS Lexington, the two carriers under his command, would play a pivotal role, their squadrons of aircraft designed to strike from a distance, launching devastating attacks on the Japanese ships. Meanwhile, on the Japanese side, Admiral Takeo Takagi was given the command of the operation to seize Port Moresby. Takagi, a veteran of the Russo-Japanese War and a respected figure in the Imperial Navy, was known for his steady nerve and tactical acumen. His plan involved seizing Tulagi and establishing a seaplane base there, before proceeding with the main offensive against Port Moresby. But unbeknownst to Takagi and the Japanese High Command, their plans had been revealed, their moves anticipated. As they moved their pieces on the chessboard of the Pacific, they were heading into an ambush. The Japanese fleet, so accustomed to playing the aggressor, was about to find itself on the defensive. As both sides set their plans in motion, the tension mounted. On the wide-open expanse of the Coral Sea, the aircraft carriers, like modern floating fortresses, prepared for action. Their decks bristled with aircraft, and their crews stood ready awaiting the orders that would plunge them into the first carrier battle in history. The plan of attack was set, the stage was ready. Now, 
It was a waiting game, a lull before the storm that was to come. With the Japanese forces advancing, the Allies wasted no time in launching their response. On May 4, 1942, the first shots were fired. Aircraft from the USS Yorktown attacked the Japanese forces on Tulagi, catching the enemy by surprise. The Allies' counteroffensive had begun. Back on the USS Yorktown and USS Lexington, aircrews rushed to their planes. Fueled by a mix of apprehension and determination, they prepared for the first major carrier air battle. Among them was Lieutenant Commander Robert Dixon, squadron leader on the Lexington, a seasoned pilot known for his steady hand and unshakable courage. With men like Dixon leading the charge, the air above the Coral Sea soon roared with the thunder of aircraft engines. Despite the initial success at Tulagi, finding the main Japanese carrier force proved to be a daunting task. The vast expanse of the Coral Sea made it a challenging environment for search and reconnaissance. However, on May 7, after relentless searching, American scout planes spotted the Japanese carrier Shoho. Within hours, aircraft from both American carriers were in the air, their pilots eager to strike a blow against the enemy. The attack on the Shoho was ruthless and unrelenting. Wave after wave of American aircraft descended on the Japanese carrier, their bombs and torpedoes reducing the once formidable ship to a flaming wreck. The first carrier engagement was proving to be a tough test for the Japanese. Back on the American carriers, the mood was cautiously optimistic. Their plan was working, and they had dealt the first major blow. But Fletcher and his officers knew that the battle was far from over. The main Japanese carrier force was still out there, and the real showdown was yet to come. As the sun set on the Coral Sea, the Allies braced for the next phase of the battle, aware that the decisive moment was drawing near. Chapter 3 Clash of the Titans May 8, 1942, dawned over the Coral Sea, bringing with it the opening moves of the main engagement. The day started with an air of tense anticipation as both the Japanese and Allied forces searched for their adversaries in the vast expanse of the Pacific. Their aircraft scoured the skies, watching for the first sign of the enemy. On the USS Lexington, Admiral Aubrey Fitch anxiously awaited reports from his scout planes. Fitch, a man known for his keen attention to detail and his ability to remain composed under pressure, was acutely aware of the stakes. Every decision he made in the coming hours could shape the course of the battle, and potentially, the war. Meanwhile, on the Japanese side, Admiral Takagi, unaware of the exact location of the American carriers, ordered his pilots to prepare for battle. One of these pilots was Lieutenant Joichi Tomonaga, a highly skilled airman known for his fearless determination. Tomonaga, like his American counterparts, was about to participate in a kind of battle that had never been fought before an engagement between aircraft carriers. At around 8 a.m., scout planes from both sides located their enemy's carriers almost simultaneously. Within minutes, the skies above the Coral Sea filled with aircraft. They climbed to altitude, formed up into attack formations, and sped towards their targets. The opening moves had begun. As the first bombs fell, the crews on the carriers watched with bated breath. For the Americans, 
Their early success was soon tempered by the harsh reality of war as the Japanese retaliated. Both the USS Lexington and the USS Yorktown took hits, with the Lexington suffering a critical blow that would eventually lead to her sinking. The Japanese carriers Shokaku and Zuikaku were also severely damaged, effectively neutralizing their ability to launch aircraft. These opening moves set the tone for the rest of the battle. Both sides had dealt significant blows to each other, demonstrating the destructive power of carrier-based aircraft. As the sun set on the Coral Sea, it became clear that this battle was not going to be won by battleships and big guns, but by aircraft launched from the decks of carriers. A new era of naval warfare had begun. The Battle of the Coral Sea was a ballet of deadly grace, a symphony of destruction played out in the skies above the Pacific. With the stage set, the vast blue above and below was now the arena for the naval aviators of both sides to show their mettle. From the American side, squadron after squadron of Douglas SBD Dauntless dive bombers and Douglas TBD Devastator torpedo bombers launched from the decks of the Yorktown and Lexington. Among them was Lieutenant John James Powers, a dauntless pilot known for his audacious courage and pinpoint bombing accuracy. As Powers led his squadron toward the enemy, the entire Pacific seemed to shrink down to the silhouette of the Japanese carriers on the horizon. Simultaneously, the Japanese aerial forces rose to meet the challenge. Skilled pilots like Joichi Tomonaga guided their Aichi D-3A Val dive bombers and Nakajima B-5 NK torpedo bombers into the fray. Their objective was clear, disable the enemy carriers and protect their own. What ensued was a fierce battle from the blue. American aviators swooped down upon the Japanese carriers, releasing their payloads with devastating precision. Powers, living up to his reputation, dove at the Shokaku despite heavy anti-aircraft fire, scoring a direct hit. The courageous pilot never pulled out of his dive and was lost to the sea, but his bravery was not forgotten. For his actions at the Coral Sea, Powers was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. Similarly, the Japanese pilots, undeterred by the ferocious anti-aircraft fire, pressed their attacks. Tomonaga, piloting a B-5N torpedo bomber, scored a direct hit on the USS Lexington, causing massive damage and eventually leading to the sinking of the great carrier. As the sky was filled with aircraft, trailing smoke, and falling into the sea, it was evident that naval warfare had irreversibly changed. This was no longer a fight between ships, but between aircraft carriers and their aerial complements. The Coral Sea, serene and expansive, bore witness to the dawn of a new age. The Battle of the Coral Sea reached a turning point on 8 May 1942. The USS Lexington, severely damaged by Japanese torpedoes and bombs, was beyond saving. A mixture of aviation fuel and gas sparked a massive explosion aboard the great ship, casting a dark pall of smoke over the Coral Sea. Despite the gallant efforts of her crew, the Lexington, affectionately known as Lady Lex, had to be abandoned and was scuttled to prevent her from falling into enemy hands. Meanwhile, the Japanese carriers Shokaku and Zuikaku, having sustained severe damage, were rendered combat ineffective. Admiral Takagi, faced with the grim reality of his situation, 
made the difficult decision to withdraw his forces. This marked a significant shift in the Pacific War. For the first time, the Japanese advance had been checked, providing a much-needed morale boost to the Allied forces. Back at Pearl Harbor, Admiral Chester Nimitz, commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet, closely followed the unfolding events. Despite the loss of the Lexington, Nimitz recognized the significance of what had been achieved. The Allied forces had managed to halt a Japanese operation and inflict significant damage on the enemy fleet. However, it was not only the military implications that marked this as a turning point. The Battle of the Coral Sea held profound significance for the ordinary people, the citizens who read about the battle in newspapers and listened to reports on the radio. For the first time since the attack on Pearl Harbor, there was a sense of hope, a belief that the tide of the war could be turned. As the battle-weary crews of the Yorktown and the surviving Australian and American ships limped away from the Coral Sea, they left behind a seascape forever marked by the first battle in history where opposing fleets had fought without ever sighting each other. The battle, fought entirely by aircraft launched from carriers, had heralded a new era of naval warfare. The Coral Sea had truly become a turning point in the Second World War. In this episode, we spoke about the Battle of Coral Sea, the rising sun in the Pacific chessboard, storm clouds over the Coral Sea, and Clash of the Titans. I am your host, Steve Matthews. Join us in our next episode when we expand on our story and talk about the price of victory, a shift in the tide of war, and echoes of the Coral Sea.